More Questions Than Answers with Julie Panessi, brought to you by the Democracy Fund. Well, hi everybody, Julie here. Today we're talking about something that is so close to my heart that I feel so passionate about. I can just sort of feel my, my blood boiling and my, my skin tingling as I start to think and talk about it. My alma mater, the school where I did my undergrad, where I got my PhD, that fired me last September for refusing to comply with their COVID vaccine mandate, Western University, uh, is now implementing, and they announced this just two weeks, within two weeks of the start of classes, is now implementing um, a, a mandate that involves masking and a booster dose of the COVID vaccines for all healthy students at Western. Um, the, you know, as I said, they're announcing this within two weeks of the start of class. The virus is waning. The variants are mild. Most have had it. I, I talked to a lot of students uh, at Western on Saturday, and the vast majority of them say they've had it. The vast majority say that they didn't get vaccinated in the first place because of their own concerns about the virus, but just because they had to do it to go to school. And a number of them said that they've uh, had myocarditis since or a number of other health effects. I remember one student, she was there with her mother, and they said that she's just been sick ever since and has missed school. You know, all of this is pointing to not just the ineffectiveness of these vaccines, but um, this this turmoil, this like mental and emotional turmoil that it's causing among students. And students are uh, finally speaking out. Thank goodness I've been, you know, I've been waiting for this, for it to kind of reach ahead, right? A critical mass where it feels like students are coming together and there's a collective voice that's so loud, it really can't be ignored anymore. And I'm sure it's just music to your ears. I was dying to look at the mainstream media coverage over the weekend, and it is not not awful. <laughs> Are you not? Um, you know, it is. It's pretty balanced for the most part, and that is that is a step. And I think they were pretty. They were pretty good for the most part at speaking to students who were at the rally. Um, you know, I mean, by comparison to what we've seen over the last year, it seems like a pretty great step in the right direction. But. What I want to do is I wanted to bring together today a number of the students who have been fighting this for a year, who have been trying to bring attention to what the students have to say, what they want to say, what they're going through, what they want to say to their universities, what they want to say to our politicians, what the kind of conversations that they're trying to get going with other students. And I'm so blessed and honored, and I'm so humbled to be in the presence of all of you. So thank you for joining me today. Let me get everybody caught up with who we have with us here today. We have Kendra, Kendra Hancock, who's a Western student and founded Students for Agency. And she was uh, in charge of organizing and leading the rally at Western on Saturday. And we'll talk to her in a minute. Then we have Lee Vossen, who was at Red River College and Brandon Paradoski, who's at the University of Manitoba in a science program. And they founded Students Against Mandates. And then we have Curtis Hainan, who is, I was going to say at Ryerson University, but he corrects me and says that Ryerson has changed its name to the Toronto Metropolitan University. And he's involved with the Ryerson Action Channel, which is this student uh, legal challenge against the university. And then I'm sure many of you will know Harry Wade, who was the, the engineering student at Western who was dragged out of class very publicly. I had the um, great pleasure of having a conversation with Harry last year around that time when it happened. He's now at the University of Bath in an engineering 
engineering program, and both Curtis and Harry are part of the Amity Project. So thank you so much for being gracious with your time and coming together. This is what we need to do, right? So we need to come together and have, have these conversations. So thank you so very much. We're gonna talk a little bit about the science today. It seems like to do the conversation justice, you have to do that a bit, but that isn't my primary concern here because I don't think this is a discussion that's won or lost on the basis of the science. It's not won or lost on the basis of what is the right decision to make from an individual point of view and as though the government or your university can dictate that for you. So I wanna hear your voices, your reasoning, your concerns, what you've been through over the last year and where you're at now. So Kendra, can we start with you? Can you tell everybody a little bit about, um, you know, take us back to a year ago, where were you studying? What happened to you? And then how do things feel different to you going into the school year in 2022? Sure. Well, I'd say that this probably time last year, so prior to September 1st, we were all looking forward to coming back on campus. The Western had announced that it would allow unvaccinated or uh, people, students with one dose onto campus as long as you submitted um, testing twice a week. So it seemed like an okay compromise, right? I'd say a price I was willing to pay in order to get my education or to resume some bit of normalcy. And it seemed like it was going to be um, I'd say the end, right? It was a small price to pay and that was going to be the last of it after this. Um, and then on September 1st, they strengthened their announcement and they um, changed the policy to include, um, to exclude, I should say, um, anyone with one or less doses. So um, yeah, I was at Huron. I was finishing my English and history degree. So I was going into my last year and I learned that I wasn't going to be able to to study on campus um, unless I gave in and got the vaccine that I did not want. And you decided not to? Yeah, I decided not to. Um, I decided to submit an exemption um, and go through that whole process, which I can tell you um, if anyone else knows it, it's not a fun process. You have to jump through many hoops. Um, you're not treated very well during that time. You're told that you're going to get a, I'd say a more one-on-one -on -one sort of human experience with someone on the other side at Western to help you through it. You don't, you get passed around and um, you get, you know, I'd say the cold shoulder from so many people within the um, administration and within the, even the uh, testing center. So my exemption was later denied. I appealed it. It was denied again throughout the entire process. I received three trespass notices from my own school. Um, they, so I was with my students in classrooms every day sorry, for the entire first semester until a week or two before exams. Um, so I was with everyone. I was, you know, be able to, you know, be in class like a normal student to a certain extent. And then when I was denied for the final time, they were not going to let me um, get in any more information or, or try to um, get it appealed again. They, well, here on messaged me and said that I was going to have to um, have my exams at a different time in a different room as everyone else. I was not allowed to suddenly be with everyone else because I was deemed a physical threat. I was a danger to everyone else. Um, a few days later, Huron graciously decided to let me take my exams with everyone else. I suspect because they didn't have a, you know, a supervising professor free at a different time. So um, I was definitely caught up in the, I'd say the, the 
um, bureaucratic nonsense that was um, these universities during the COVID crisis. How does it, I mean, you've given us a little sense of what it feels like going through that process one-on-one, but does it feel to you like there's a coordinated effort on the part of the universities, a rationale that's been um, shown to students? Is it clear to students? I guess what I'm trying to get at here, you know, you go you go to university and you, one of the reasons you go, maybe the main reason you go is because you believe that it has something to offer you. You believe that your professors are, are trustworthy, that they have information and skill building abilities that will enhance your life. And there's a lot of trust at the root of all of that, isn't there? But I, I suspect you're quite right. I mean, it's very hard to get proctors for exams. And so to make the sort of arbitrary decision that, well, I guess you're not a threat or enough of a viral threat anymore, so we won't worry about it because we can't find a proctor. It sounds very ad hoc. It sounds very hard to have, have trust and faith in that sort of institution. Um, what was the environment like amongst your classmates, your students at that time, like September 2021? At that time, um, and I'm sure Harry can relate to this, it was strange. It was, it was silent. It was kind of, you know, when I saw the footage of Harry, it reminded me of 1984, and that's probably the best way I could put it. It was dead silence it was people who were your friends people who stood up for you people who you you know hung out with had great things in common who had you know similar goals as you and educationally um were suddenly turning their backs were suddenly silent and it's hard to know if that was out of malice or ignorance or if they were just trying to look up for themselves but the entire school i think turned in on itself and you would think from an institutional perspective you would hate to see that amongst your students um, but it did seem encouraged. And I'd say the professors were, were also playing into that. Um, so it was a very strange culture of, of silence, of compliance, and of neglecting your fellow students. Um, I'd say I talked to a few um, fellow students, some friends, and kind of told them what had happened to me throughout the course of the semester. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the semester, I'd say people were kind of coming around to saying, they put you through all that, wow. Um, but a lot weren't, <laughs> and a lot throughout the entire semester would say, well, it was your choice. And, and that always got to me because it wasn't a choice to be put in this position. Um, it wasn't a choice to be coerced. Um, it was my choice to make my own health decision, of course, but the fallout from this, the consequences that the institutions and that the government was putting on people at the time were, were not fair, were not right, were not morally just in any sort of fashion. When we talk about... Uh, choice, and we talk about informed choice, informed consent, part of what it is to have free informed consent is not to suffer disproportionately for the choice you make, right? And so when the university says, well, you must make this this choice, you must choose this option, or else you will be de-enrolled, you will be segregated, you will be ostracized, you will lose your opportunity to write an exam, you will lose access to your grades. That isn't that isn't creating robust conditions of consent, right? That's a kind of coercion. Harry, it's only kind of seems right that we get get you to jump in here as a former 
Western student, do you relate to what Kendra was saying? I know you and I have had a conversation about this pretty in depth, but for those who maybe didn't see that, can you give us a bit of a corollary of what was going on in your engineering department? Those who, um, who are listening, who don't know, so Kendra was at Huron, which is one of the affiliate colleges at Western that's kind of across the road, and the engineering building is on the main campus at Western. So not far from each other, physically speaking, but um, culturally, is it the same experience you had? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I've had to spend far too much time trying to elaborate those personal and traumatizing details when you're talking to students and they support you and uh, encourage you to pursue the course of action to resist these policies and these mandates. And then when the day arrives, uh, like Kendra said, the silence is deafening, but the silence in the classrooms um, it goes beyond the classrooms. It's, it's in the hallways, it's in all the buildings. Students are working by themselves with masks on, separated from each other. And there's wardens, I would call them, patrolling these buildings, keeping the students separated and keeping them in line with these policies. And to me, it, it's like cultural death at those buildings. And it was so distracting for me, trying to focus on what is already such a challenging degree and when you experience that, when you're going into a building and out of a building and in um, just the student culture outside of the campus itself, why do students still pretend to care about each other when there is no mention of distancing or masking or vaccines, when people are quite happy to party and be intimate with, with each other outside the supervision of their professors or admins or whoever is in a superior position, even though the reality is for them, uh, they have to enforce those policies as well, beyond their own input, beyond their own uh, uh, consent to support these kinds of policies. And that includes the special constables that end up arresting me. And I had to sit down with a gentleman uh, at the, the police uh, the building at the center of campus where they detained me. And I could see it in his eyes that he was reluctant to uh, you know, record this incident, file a charge against me. You could see his reluctance. In his own words, I don't want to do this. But I told him at the time, if you think this is the right thing to do, then you have to do it. And that is exactly what I'm doing. And that's all I was petitioning the students to do for those few weeks where I was allowed to work amongst them. And when the day finally came, you didn't see much of anything. But at the very least, I hoped that by them witnessing my plight directly, that would equip them with the experience that they need, the courage that they need to go out and demonstrate with Kendra that we saw a few days ago. One of the worst things I heard on Saturday, I was great privilege to get to speak with a lot of parents and students and um, some professors actually who were brave enough, you know, some had exemptions, some were vaccinated, but were brave enough to be there. I thought that was really something. But one of the worst things I heard was a student who said that one of her professors in class said, I know there are dirty, unvaccinated students here. You know, I don't remember, I mean, that kind of personality trait, I never had that as a student. I can't even imagine. I remember, and I was going through, you know, my undergrad in the 90s, and I know you guys were probably born in the 90s, but you know, it's a different, it was a different time. But I remember them. 
being so much in my corner, you know, and if I got into a class where I, it was so anomalous, but if I got into a class where I got the sense that wasn't true, it was easy to transfer out because, because they were the anomaly and I didn't want to learn from that kind of person. But what is your yeah. sense of, Curtis, maybe let's go to you, you know, you're at, um, in Toronto and, have you have you experienced that kind of thing on campus? It, it can't just be half. It can't just be one instance, right? I mean, it must be happening elsewhere. But how does that make you feel as a student who is sort of targeted and hated by the person you're supposed to be learning from? Well, it it I imagine it would feel terrible. However, I personally have not experienced this. Uh, in fact. In the last two years, I haven't attended campus at all. Right. Um, so I've actually felt very disconnected from my professors and also my fellow students. Um, at Western, I know back uh, back in the fall, in person learning, Robinson, we or TMU, we didn't have in person learning at that time. Um, all the in person learning that I had. Um, experienced uh, was much like the others have mentioned. It was, it was very supportive, uh, but that all came crashing down when the mandates hit um, in fall of 2021. Mm -hmm. Lee and um, Brandon, let, let's get you in on the conversation and tell me what it's been like out in Winnipeg. Is the culture similar to what you're hearing from Kendra, Curtis and Harry? Is it different? Um, very much so, but oh, very, very similar actually. And, and that kind of, um, leads to my point that how I kind of came to be on this side or, or stand up for all this was really, it started before the pandemic for me with this rise in group think and cancel culture that I'd always taken issue with. I mean, even all of the circles of friends I had uh, prior to the pandemic, I would listen to them say certain things um, that I just didn't agree with. And I, I thought it was shocking to see all of them agree with one another. One, one example I have, I was working at this one company and we're sitting at lunch and this girl says a statement that normally to me, I would think everyone would shut down immediately. She said, um, if rape were legal, 90% of men would rape. And I, I just was shocked. And I was like, ah, uh, and everyone at the table, about 10 people started nodding their heads, including three guys. They're like, yeah, that's probably true. And I was like, no, that's not true. You have a boyfriend and you have uh, fathers and brothers. That's not true at all. And how, how could you think that about the other 50% of the population, you know? So I had been noticing that and struggling with that prior to the pandemic a lot. And once it started right away, I was noticing even teachers, as you guys were saying, um, talking badly about unvaccinated students. I had them talking badly about conservatives and, and making other students make fun of those, uh, or yeah, making students make fun of the other students. So dividing I had- and, and Yeah, dividing people themselves. and right. saying they're spreading misinformation, anti-vax people shouldn't, shouldn't be on campus. Um, conservatives, there's a student in the other class who I saw, he has a Trump pin, make fun of him. Like, it, and everyone was laughing. And The professor and, you know, he, says this. Yeah, yeah, this is prior to the pandemic, but he said he's probably a Jordan Peterson fan too, you know? And I, I was like, this is not acceptable. So right when all this started with the pandemic, I was like, I, I know the way people are thinking and I'm gonna think critically about this. I'm gonna look into the, the information. I'm gonna ask questions. Questions are shut down these days. Um, mm -hmm. I would simply ask a friend, what do you think about masking? Is there science behind it? And she said, stop, stop talking about it. I don't wanna hear it. Don't ask that question. And I was like, this is a huge problem and it's pervasive and it's been going on for a lot longer than, than just the pandemic. 
What is your sense of that? I, I, I agree with you. I, um, you know, teaching ethics in the classroom, ethics and political philosophy classes and classes on feminist, uh, you know, things like that. Uh, it became increasingly difficult to get any kind of discussion or debate going because to have a robust discussion, you have to have people have some point of disagreement with one another or be willing to entertain a question or some, you can't just have silent nodding. It doesn't yeah. make a very good classroom fodder, you know, um, but it became increasingly difficult and very hard to, you know, I remember when I started teaching, the challenge was how can I manage this classroom of bubbling disparate opinions? And then when I finished teaching and I guess I was last in the classroom early 2020, uh, it was just such a challenge to get anything going. I mean, this isn't really a conversation about cancel culture, but how much harm do you think that shutting down of conversation and questioning has done to get us to this point? How, sorry, how, sorry, froze there for a moment. Well, well, I was just wondering how much harm has the cancellation and the shutting down of questions, how much harm has that done to get us to this point where students are just kind of, don't talk to each other, just put your head down, put your mask on, don't ask questions vilify well, it, yeah it got us to exactly this this position that we're in right now where the country is completely divided um people aren't seeing their family members anymore inviting them over for christmas i had one girl saying she would come into the kitchen she's unvaccinated and her whole family would not acknowledge her presence so she'd say hi and they would pretend she wasn't there and not answer her that's what that has gotten us to that that place and i've heard from hundreds of uh people contacting us on our Instagram, telling us these stories and sharing their stories. That's what that sort of um, ideology has brought us to. And it's so dangerous. And it is what led to other historical events like the atrocities of the Holocaust and things like that. I know people are saying, don't compare well, you're not to that. I'm like, that you're not allowed to say that. And, but they're, they're very comfortable with labeling people as Nazis and compare it in that way. But if you say there are certain, there's an ideology that was, um, present back then that we're starting to see rise again now and it's dangerous and that's what led up to the atrocities but if you say that that's not acceptable we can't learn from the past and what other people experience how did it get there it didn't just start one day um as as bad as it was it it led up slowly right mm -hmm. um so we should we should talk about it and have conversations and not shut down people not assume the worst of their intentions um, but really try to get to the to the truth of the matter. Um, in your book, you mentioned that, like, what if we just listen to people and actually try to understand what they were saying in their their point of view? And I thought that was so powerful. Like, exactly. Why are people so uncomfortable with that? Well, um, why not try it? We've tried everything. Else. Not, why not? Try. Let's give it a go. Let's just give it a go. <laughs> Brandon, what are you? I mean, we've talked a lot about what we were seeing sort of a year ago, how things were really bad when the mandates first came in a year ago. But what are you seeing where you are now? Have things changed? Well, uh, just to give you a little bit of a background about myself, um, in 2021, I graduated um, with my undergraduate degree in biochemistry. And then I started a master's of science program in immunology, both at the U of M, University of Manitoba. So signing up for that, I was expecting open debate, discourse, um, definitely disagreeing with people, but being able to have a constructive conversation. Um, in the context of COVID, I was expecting all hands on deck. Let's talk about this. Maybe let's start researching COVID more. Let's have this maybe weekly dialogue. But there was nothing of the sorts. 
so now um, I think it has changed a little bit. Um, I had a similar experience as what Kendra, Harry, Curtis, and then Lee just said. But now I think people are starting to be more open to this conversation, um, more open to questioning things, saying, hey, this doesn't really make sense, the mandates, everyone can spread it. Um, why are we still masking at this point? So I think people are definitely more open to asking questions, at least. This is huge. Um, I, I'm, you know, anybody who has a thought about this way in, but that's the sense I get too. And a lot of students I talked to, you know, on Saturday, they, they didn't care what their vaccination status, they, they just said, this is just enough of the mandating, enough of the coercing, enough of the division. Um, do you think that that trend was emerging in spring of this year while students were still on campus? Or has this been a something they were thinking about, something shifted over the summer while they were away from campus, and now they're coming back with a renewed something, a renewed interest in talking. Uh, maybe I'll jump in here. Um, so I think it was a pretty dark winter for all of us. I think there was a lot of social pressure on students and even staff like not to speak out, even if you thought contrary to what the university was saying. It was more so put your head down, go to work, just be or go to school, just be happy to be there. And no matter if you're masking or had to do um, take vaccinations against your will, just be happy that you're there, be happy that we're in person, yada, yada, yada. But I think um, come spring and summer, the mood started to be uplifted to an extent and people started talking more. And as it became really obvious that everyone could in fact get infected and transmit the disease, um, a lot of these mandates became very futile. And as more evidence came out um, against masking, I think people have been more um, open to saying, hey, this doesn't really make sense, or at least make it a choice. Um, mm -hmm. That's what I think. Yeah. Thanks for that, Brandon. Let, let's, let's talk about the science for a minute. Let's dig into that because it's always the elephant in the room. Um, you know, and, and some really interesting things have come out lately. Uh, you know, we, we've had court documents that show that there was no scientific rationale to the travel ban. We've had Kieran Moore, the chief medical officer of health for Ontario, who says, look, I mean, he still advocates for COVID vaccination, but he says there are risks and benefits here. It should be assessed on a case by case basis up to the individual. That is not mandate language, right? In the Journal of the American Medical Association, there was a recent paper that showed that the booster dose confers zero protection against transmutation of the virus after four months. I mean, I think people, you don't have to read that article to know that's true, right? Because people are getting COVID regardless of whether they're vaccinated or not, regardless of whether they had one dose or, or, they're, or they're quadruple vaccinated. The British Medical um, Journal uh, had an article about masking to try to figure out, well, how much does it prevent COVID in small children? And the upshot of that is that it pretty much doesn't. Now that was in small children, but there was also an analysis done by the Department of Education in the UK that showed that there's no significant reduction in absences due to COVID after the imposition of the mask mandate. So, I mean, the science is all anti-mandate, right? And never mind if the science is against the decision to get vaccinated, because that's not what this is about. That's not what you guys are worried about, right? That's not what led you to form your groups. That's not what's causing you to speak out. You know, it's, um, I often say that, and I said this um, at Western on Saturday, that informed consent isn't about figuring out what the best objective decision is to make and then making that. Informed consent is about figuring out what decision 
best supports my personal integrity, best supports the decisions that I'm, you know, that, that I, that reflect who I am as a person and the risks I'm willing to bear. But knowing all of that, Western went ahead with this mandate. U of T has the mandate for residences. Trent, I believe, also has a mandate for residences. Putting your charitable hat on, what do you think the reasoning is for this? Does anybody, Kendra, do you want to jump in? Because you're, you know, you're right in the thick of it at Western these days. I mean, when you think charitably, is this, Zach said, Zach, who's a third year medical student at Western, spoke at the rally on Saturday, and he mentioned Hanlon's razor, which is the idea that you should never attribute to malice that which can be attributed to ignorance. Do you think this is just a matter of ignorance or the policymakers at Western, they didn't get the most recent issue of JAMA or BMJ, or is that what's going on? Do you think, are you um, not? is inclined to be that charitable where do you think this is coming from well i think you made an excellent point that's a, a great place to start um and i encourage everybody to start at that point let's not just you know try to jump the gun here and and point fingers but we should try to understand it um and that's really what's frustrating students that we have gotten absolutely no data we've gotten no sign of the motivations from western specifically um you know we could only guess if i'm being charitable um, if they are really concerned about the outside community, I've seen that toted around a bit about, okay, well, maybe this group doesn't transmit it to each other very much, and maybe we're not at risk because well, the science shows that we're not at risk for anything um, serious regarding getting COVID, but they worry about perhaps the outside community. So what happens about the uh, elderly populations in town? Well, I'd love to survey any university in Canada and the actual students who go there and see how many of them interact with elderly populations or um, <laughs> people on the other side of 50 um, other than passing them in the grocery store or, or go to the bars on Richmond Street or something yeah <laughs> or you know maybe at, yeah at the local pub or something but really it's um, these students are away from home they are seeing each other it's a very um, well and normally it's a very good little tight-knit culture and other than going home at Christmas time um, yeah, they're all within each other, you know, they're all um, communicating with each other, that's the community. So I think that's a poor excuse. Um, and I think that if that is sort of the reasoning, then they need to look at the data behind that. A lot of the signs at the rally on Saturday said, you know, show me the science, show me the evidence, what's your rationale? Um, and just to be clear, so you, you just said, you know, you haven't seen that from Western. Have any of you seen any proof or evidence offered by the university to which you're associated or college to which you're associated that says this is why we're implementing the mandate these are the studies we're looking at these are the articles we're looking at no no and even when you ask them so actually at the beginning of um, when all this started for me I reached out and sent an email to the president of Red River College and I said on behalf of a group of concerned students I'd like to speak to you about your policy implementing mandates um, and I ended up sending a bunch of emails, getting other students to, or like a, a Facebook group of like 5,000 people. I said, can you email this to the president, please? Um, so he was being bombarded with that. And then I started calling, leaving voicemail messages. And I ended up getting a response saying, we're anti-segregation, anti-discrimination. Uh, all these things is this huge, long email at the last paragraph was, uh, I don't think any further discussion is necessary but there was nothing about the science. There was nothing, they had no explanation to offer. Um, and then I think Brandon too, you can speak to, you contacted the University of Manitoba 
and said, can you at least break down the science for me? And they basically just shut him down too. If you want to explain what happened there. What did they say, Brandon? What was their response? Yeah, so I just wanted to start the conversation. Um, I didn't necessarily take a contrarian stance just because I wanted to. Um, I took it because you're not providing any evidence supporting what you want me to do. Um, and so I got an antibody test done um, probably in September after I was infected probably five months prior, and I wanted to use that as proof to be on campus. So what this serological test showed was that I had antibodies both against the spike and this test showed that it couldn't differentiate between someone who is infected or who is vaccinated and as well as antibodies against the other proteins on the virus. So I prepared this document and I sent it to um, my professor. I sent it to um, the graduate chair and I sent it to um, sort of the COVID committee at the University of Manitoba going, look, um, I have this test that shows I've been infected. I have some level of immunity against um, this virus. Um, tell me why this isn't um, usable to be on campus. How am I putting anyone at risk? How am I putting myself at risk? Or at least just show me the evidence that is contrary to this. And so I sent it to this um, COVID committee at the University of Manitoba, and they responded back to me saying, um, you're not going to be allowed on campus. Experts say that even with infection, you still need to be vaccinated. And then I said, okay, fine. Um, what evidence supports this? And just who are the experts? Because I could say experts for anything and just refer to a ghost that doesn't even exist. And so they responded back to me by saying, we're no longer continuing with this conversation. This will be the, the end of it. After I requested the information that they used to back their claim that I can't come onto campus to which I missed the semester. But yeah, so that's the message my university is putting out. So, so they basically said to a young person in late teens or 20s that you're paying tuition to go to this school. You're going there for the purpose of being educated. And they're telling you, this is the order. You're not to ask questions about it. And you aren't entitled to our reasoning or evidence that we're using to make this order. Absolutely. Um, and one of the other things they put out early on, uh, they had this medical doctor sort of just walk through what is a vaccine, why you should get the COVID vaccine, and they published that on the University of Manitoba's website. Um, nothing was cited, of course, in his document um, encouraging students to get vaccinated. You know, it like provides immunity, this and that, like very basic terms that really doesn't tell you anything about anything. So I responded back to him, direct quoting what he said and providing contrary evidence and asking for his papers that he was using to put on the University of Manitoba and encourage students to be vaccinated. And I sent, it, sent this to him probably October, 2021, again, a month later, again, a month later, probably sent him out five or six emails and I never got a response. So um, this is the type of um, lack of conversation that's going on, at least that this university when you request this information. That's all I really want is the information. You want to, you know, it's, um, I can't tell you how many classes I've taught on 
critical thinking and logic and arguments for ethical conclusions. And the number one lesson is to have a sound argument. The conclusion has to follow logically from the premises, from the evidence that's given. No evidence given, no sound argument shouldn't follow the conclusion, right? Um, but the universities apparently are not, not following this logic. I'm Kendrick, let me just go back to you for a minute. Can you tell us what got you to the point where you just said, this is enough. We need to get things going. It's rally time at Western. I mean, that's a big, that's a lot to organize. It takes a lot of courage. What got you to that point? Well, um, for the in terms of the rally, in terms of the demonstration, what got us to that point was student feedback. Um, so I, as soon as I saw the messaging, I was actually filling out a scholarship application. I was really excited about it. And I was like, I'm going to get to be a normal student this year. And I looked at my phone, I saw the message, someone in our group chat had sent the updated policy that Western had sneakily put on their website before announcing. And, you know, we went, oh no. So I had some ideas beforehand about some, some different things I think maybe weren't pointed out to students in the past. Um, and I thought, okay, maybe the best way to get this out is social media. Um, so I kind of got to work and I started doing that. I have a comms background. So me putting together graphics and stuff, that's kind of just how I work. So I, I did that and it went over really well and it really resonated with students and students were upset because they're once again being controlled. The price of freedom just went up and it's a price that a lot of people are not willing to pay and of course good for them. Um, so <laughs> I'd say in terms of demonstration, that's not my field, it's not my background, it's not my personality to be publicly speaking or anything like that, it really isn't. I'm a pretty private person and I, I don't say that, you know, out of um, fake humility or anything like that, truly. But we heard from students. I had hundreds of messages, hundreds of comments saying, please rally, please demonstrate and do it quickly. Um, people saying and acknowledging that, you know, students aren't in London yet but let's represent them in the meantime. So we were able to do that and uh, do it pretty successfully. And were you happy with the turnout? There were a lot of people there who, as you say, were, were representing students, weren't there? A lot of parents who said, my, you know, my child's not here yet, but I wanna be here for them. And there were professors. How, how did that make you feel that there was, there was so much community support with such a diverse group? Yeah, we, we couldn't be happier. It, it went really well, especially considering we don't have a lot of students in, the, in London yet. And like you're saying, I heard from so many parents that their child was too scared to come, that, you know, my daughter's going into the 30 yard Kings or they're coming in from high school and, you know, they maybe didn't want to get the shot last year, but they did, or they haven't gotten any shots yet. And now they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And they're too scared to come. They're too scared to have their voice be heard, especially students coming from high school. They're hopeful. They spent their entire last four years thinking, what university am I going to go to and choosing it and celebrating when they got in. And now this, the school is kind of turned on them before they even get here. So are they going to risk their reputation on campus or their relationship with their professors by speaking up and, and um, going by their own convictions? You know, that mm -hmm. is a lot of pressure and that's not fair on them at all. And especially for students in smaller classes, I, I went to one of the colleges at Western, I um, you know, taught at one of the colleges, we tend to have smaller classes with maybe 20 students in them or 30 students often, and then I was in a PhD program with these small seminars, it's a lot easy, you know, it's a lot harder to be anonymous than if you're in a big first first year class, right? So it's, if you speak out vocally, it would be pretty easy for one of your professors to know, you know, and, and for your your marks, your grades to, to reflect that and, and promotion abilities and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. I, one thing I meant to ask you, you earlier is, um, 
Was there any mention of a mandate prior to, it was August 22nd, they announced it, right? So to the best of your knowledge, offers of admission that went out in the spring or early summer, did they include any mention of possible COVID restrictions going into the fall? Um, I'd say it was one of those situations where they kept the wording vague. It was, we've, you know, paused the mask mandate. They never, um, I don't believe they ever paused the vaccine, the two-dose mandate, but it was one of those things where um, the messaging was hopeful and um, it didn't it didn't seem like there was much of a reason considering what other schools were doing, um, what the public health was saying, the public health recommendations, like the Middlesex London Health Unit telling Fanshawe they had the go-ahead to go into the school year without any mandates. Um, so I think everybody was hopeful. Everybody was looking forward to, you know, a free year. People, students who had gotten the two shots, maybe didn't want to. They said, okay, I paid my price. Um, and now we finally get to move forward. And that was just taken away from everyone. Mm -hmm. There were so many stories on Saturday. I mean, I, I spoke to a mother whose daughter was, was too sick to come to the rally because she's been sick ever since she got I don't know if I don't know if it was the first or second dose, but sick ever since. And a professor who had myocarditis from from this, and um, and then some students who had more mild effects. But I mean, for for to to place the trust, you know, your trust in your school, or to entrust your child uh, with a university and the decision makers of the university to go through that is just so unfathomable to me. You know, I can't help but wonder where where we go now. I understand that. The uh, Students' Council at Western is going to vote on August 31st, and the question is whether or not they will challenge Western's mandate. And I wanted to tell you guys, I got a very interesting uh, message over the weekend from a business owner, I'll just leave it very vague, business owner in the London area who's been a Western donor and who said, you know, he saw the rally at Western on Saturday, he saw our speeches, um, and he's writing a, a letter to Western, to the president's office, to say that if this mandate isn't rescinded, he'll pull support. Do you think that that's what it's going to take to see to see Western reverse this decision? Is it, it are we just down to the money at this point? Is it a matter of student uh, revolt? Is it a matter of whether or not the student voices will be vocal enough? We have also heard that the UWO Faculty Association was very much insisting on the, the mandate. And so are we going to see just a, a tension, a push-pull, do you think, between students and faculty? And, and uh, you know, not just Kendra, but but others of you who have thoughts on this, like, wh where do we go from here? Where do we need to put the pressure um, to see this change? I'd like to jump in here, actually. Mm -hmm. um, Western has weathered, last year, they weathered a lot of controversy. And maybe that has emboldened them to just push the envelope this year. I'm not, I'm not sure, but um, I don't think they've experienced any legal action from anyone up, up until this point. And that might be the only way. I, yes, for sure, money is going to play a role, but I'm waiting to see legal action. I can tell you that the Democracy Fund has, has sent a legal letter to Western, but that is always the first in a series of steps, isn't it? And I think you're right that being able to do something like this, not just at Western, but across campuses and face very little legal challenge. And thank goodness for, for your group um, uh, challenging at, at Ryerson. It's so, so crucial. W where do you see this going? You know, I... Um, 
I can say, I think, that I, I spoke with a senior member of administration at another university in the area, it wasn't at Western, but another university in the area on Saturday, who said that the plan was for Western to announce the mandate and the others would follow. And the others have not followed or followed as quickly, right? And so Western is maybe kind of out on a limb, dangling on, on its own, as it should be, if you're going to make decisions like that with that kind of um, collusion and that kind of uh, ignorance of, of the information. And, and maybe more importantly, ignorance of the harm that is being done to students. We, we've spoken, I've talked with each of you in different, different circumstances about, you know, the mental costs, the economic costs. There was a student on Saturday who said, you know, she should have been graduating this last spring and now she's in, in school for the fifth year and then you have to arrange housing and then she hasn't been able to go to school or work for a year I mean the 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 burdens on politicians I think sometimes just act like well we'll reverse that decision and we'll go oops my bad and we'll go on and you know carry on as normal but the consequences for for you guys for young people it it's it, it's life enduring isn't it I suppose I should speak on that because as a direct result of what I experienced at Western, I came to the ultimate conclusion that Canada is not a country for me. And that has got to be something a lot of students have to be considering going forward now that perhaps all my life I was told in order to succeed, I need an education and I need to go to university and I need a degree. And that choice might not be available to you anymore. And I'm fortunate enough where I can return to a country where I grew up and resume my degree. Not everyone else has those choices. So instead of considering whether or not we should continue trying, vying and wiggling our way into a place where we can be tolerated at these universities, we should just disregard them out of hand and decide for the vast majority of people on this planet, most majority of Canadians, but most people on this planet don't have a degree and they get along and they work hard to improve society mm. and with all the challenges that we're facing going forward. So let the universities be a place for uh, creating a leadership culture that we don't tolerate because ultimately we don't have to listen to our leaders. When Trudeau or Mr. Ford or Kieran Moore he can say whatever he likes, but at the end of the day, true activism, true political mobility is when you walk into the grocery store or the restaurant and someone tries and attempts to turn you away because of something that they barely understand and just choose to trust in leaders. That's why it's not about however many shots you get, whether you choose to wear the mask or not. It's about what kind of life you wanna live where you're constantly being scrutinized and under the eye of big government, big pharma, I think people, instead of worrying about how they're gonna get through these next few years, how they're gonna finish their education, we should be thinking about how are we gonna live the rest of our lives if this becomes the norm? If the only people that are allowed to graduate now are the ones that are not thinking for themselves, they are following orders and they do not care about your welfare, at least that's how it felt when I was speaking to students in that classroom who said, I refuse to believe that the university would be willing to come and arrest you and pull you out of class. I will not subject myself 
to another shot. I did not want these first two shots. There's no way I'm getting a booster. And I hope they stick to their word and they are demonstrating right now with Kendra. But if they are not, they have shown that they're only willing to lie and protect their own interests just so that they can succeed. And when those people become lawyers and doctors and politicians, you will see how society is gonna to continue to spiral as we face all kinds of crises all, kind, all over the world and the stress levels are increasing. So for everyone sitting here, for all young people, never mind the education, never mind the degree, what about the rest of your life? Mary, I couldn't have, couldn't have said that any better. Thank you for that. Lee, what do you think? What do, what do you wanna to say to your fellow students? I mean, I mean, generally across the country, across the world. Oh, yeah, I think you said that so well, Harry, but is to speak up and not to be so afraid of what everyone else thinks. Um, I, I think that was one of the biggest things for students who are reaching out to Students Against Mandates. They would say, I want to speak up and I agree with you, but I'm too scared to. So you do that for me, basically. And it's like, that's just not at this point good enough. Like we all need to stand up together. I think that was amazing. The demonstration that was done at Western. I, I had someone going around taking videos uh, and sending them to me. So yeah, and your speech was amazing, Kendra. Um, but yeah, just speak up. Don't be afraid of the cancel culture because you're going to be you're you're going to end up finding more like-minded people. Um, and this is the only way to to stop this. And exactly to Harry's point, if we if we let this go on, the people who are leading our country are the people who um, complied without thinking, um, not because they they needed to provide for their family and they had no choice. There's so many of those people. And I, I feel um, so compassionate for those people who, who really didn't want to do it, but they were like, I have to do this for my family. I have to, there's no choice. I'll lose my job. And I understand that. I understand why they made that choice. Um, but there's people who were pressuring others into taking the vaccine and bullying people. And I don't want to see those people leading our country because there's a lot of people right now leading our country like that. Case in point, our prime minister. <laughs> so... There was a beautiful video, someone, I, I'm losing track of all the groups now, but a beautiful video that came out over the weekend. It was done by the Canadian COVID Care Alliance. They're citizens hearing, and they were juxtaposing, you know, the stories of the people who felt pressured to get the vac vaccines or who were injured by the vaccines. And then, you know, images of our uh, prime minister on the campaign trail talking about how we should hate each other and divide each other. And, you know, it's really, there's such a dissonance, isn't there? And I think, yeah. I think, Am I right to think that there's a growing feeling among young people that that's just enough? I, I you know, I, I paid my dues. I, I did this thing I didn't want to do, but, you know, leave me alone now so I can live my life. Well, even, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Lee. I'll, oh, I'll go after you. Okay. Even just how I think people were very afraid for a, a very long amount of time. So that's where the anger came from. I was noticing it was coming from a place of fear. And since even Omicron went around and everyone got COVID and they, they experienced it for themselves, I think that fear uh, dissipated, it faded. And, and people started to be able to then think again and ask questions. And mm -hmm. that was so important. That was that pivotal moment, I think, where it did start to change and you were allowed to have different opinion. It might be met with some irritation, but not the, the mm -hmm. vitriol that you were experiencing before. Um, so that, that was, that was fantastic. But Brandon, what were you going to say? Yeah. Um, so I think like what Kendra mentioned earlier, and I think Harry sort of alluded to this, um, 
this sort of idea of like social pressure and like some students definitely care about their social image and maybe they disagree with this, but don't necessarily want to say anything about that because of like fear of backlash or like how their friends will perceive them. So I think that's a big barrier for young people to be speaking out against this, even if they do think it's stupid, even if they don't want to get their dose or whatever. So I think that's, that's a big challenge that we'll have to overcome, at least normalizing speaking out, speaking what you think, and like being true to yourself rather than, I guess, like hiding in the crowd and going with the flow. So mm -hmm. I think if we're able to do that, that would be um, a big boost to our goal. And I think um, students can change the tide. I think what Western did was incredibly terrible press. Like it was very bad press for them. And I think, like you said, even the CBC is starting to report on that to some extent. I would agree that other universities are waiting to see what is happening there because the, the government is on their side with the mandate, so they will likely side with them. But I think if we continue to speak out, we get more students on our side, we could uh, change the direction of the ship and not necessarily let all institutions think because I mean, like what Harry said, if, if we let all these institutions think, well, then these are the doctors of tomorrow. These are the lawyers of tomorrow. And then what do we do? We stand on the outside and sort of skirt around society. So I think like this is our chance. Um, say we don't agree with it. Um, encourage other people, if they also don't agree with it, to speak their mind and not to sit and hope this blows over because I don't think it will blow over. So that's what I think. We're definitely seeing some good movement in that direction. I want to make sure, we just have a couple of minutes left, but I want to make sure to tell you um, and everybody watching, Dr. Matt Strauss, who was going to join us today, something came up, but Dr. Strauss is an ICU doctor. He is the acting medical officer of health for Haldeman Norfolk, and he spoke very eloquently and powerfully at the rally at Western on Saturday. He is uh, openly vaccinated. He uh, speaks about uh, having treated people with COVID in the hospitals, but he's very anti-mandate and very supportive of the students. And he wanted me to tell you, even though he couldn't be here, he said, I'm very proud of you and you're going to win. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> Kendra, what, what are your next steps? Do you have plans for when students come on campus? Are you planning another rally? Or you just want to go to bed for a few days? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I definitely had to catch up on sleep there. But um, just like the last demonstration, we are making our, our choices. We are deciding what we're going to do based off of what students are telling us and what they want. That is what is you know, key important to us, of course. Um, so we're going to continue to do that. We're going to be listening to students and choosing what to do next. I think the important thing is to, you know, take what Harry said into consideration here to prevent that. We need to acknowledge as students, we have the numbers. These are mostly publicly funded institutions. They are supposed to work for us. They are providing us a service, providing us an education. We are paying customers if they continue this, they are going to lose the trust of students forever. And they absolutely should heed that warning and, and see the significance of that going forward. If you, use the, if you lose the trust of students, they'll have nothing. And how can students, if they want to reach out to you, ask you questions, uh, support you, where can they find you? We'll, we'll, we will link all of this for all of your groups, but just, just give it to us you know, now at the end. Yeah. Well, we're on Instagram and Twitter. Um, it's at students number four agency and people can message us there and 
you know, please uh, share your stories if you'd like, and we can um, get a conversation going. Sharing stories is so powerful. You know, I think a lot of, um, you know, academics and physicians and policymakers and lawyers have been speaking up for the last year, but it's never as powerful as hearing personal stories. It's never as powerful as, you know, uh, hugging the person who's just breaking down in front of you because of what's happened over the last the last year and and, and coming together and, and pulling our masks down and having a conversation and looking each other in the eye and asking questions and being humble and being curious. These things are so important. And all of you have, have been, I mean, you must be exhausted. You've been fighting this for so long and it must feel good somewhat that we're starting to see some opening in, in the narrative. And, and I think, um, and I just thank you all for your diligence and please keep at it. And thank you for your time today.